All right, I'm so glad you guys are here, and let me take just a second to say good morning to Daystar Church in Hartzell and in Madison and our online campus. So many more people that are worshiping with us online. Hey, if you're not able to physically be in one of our campuses with us, we love that you get online and, and worship with us, but we want you physically here as often as you can to just experience the worship in the room and the house full of believers, but we're super glad you're joining us right now. Some of you are watching it later because you're working on Sunday, and we're super glad you're here. Can everybody clap? Clap your hands real loud. Let them know we're super glad you're a part of Daystar. And so, guys, we're in a series right now called Running with the Giants. I'm going to just kick this water out of my way so I'll quit worrying about it. And uh, we're looking at giants of the faith, like different stories that are giant stories. Now, they may not be like wonderful people, like they're not all doing the right thing, as you'll find out in the story we look at today, but they're all big stories, like big stories that that tell us something about how God looks at us and, and how we go on with our life from failure or from victory or how we attain victory. They're just wonderful stories. You remember last week we talked about the story of Gideon. And uh, Gideon was a guy who was a commander of an army of only 300 people. And he, because he surrendered to God's will, because he listened closely to God's plan for his life, 300 men overthrew an army of 135,000. And the lesson there is, man, if, if God's on your side, you plus God is a majority over everybody else. Can you say amen to that? A lot of good stuff there. Now, next week, we're going to be talking about Ruth, the story of Ruth. And, 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 and by the way, we're just reading straight through the book of Judges. And I hope you're following with your reading plan. And if, if by chance you fell apart or you kind of fell off of the plan, we put that reading plan in your worship guide notes. So you could start today. Everybody say today. Some of you are like, well, I'm three months behind. I've got, don't forget about that. Just forget about that. Start today, and these stories will just pick you up. We're just like starting in the book of John in the New Testament. That's a perfect place for you to start in the New Testament and the book of Judges. And uh, we'll be reading Ruth next week. And does anybody know what's special about next Sunday? Why did not one male voice just say Mother's Day? I hope the people of Hartzell and Madison, the men, knew it was Mother's Day. The rest of you men are in big trouble if not for Pastor Jerry. Would you give me a big thank you? I just helped you out. You have six days to get this thing figured out. Yes, it is Mother's Day. I want you to be ready. I want you to take care of your mother. And let me say this. If, you, if your mom doesn't worship with you at Daystar, man, get her here. Tell her we're going to have a big family reunion at Daystar. Come on out. Mom, we're going to have gifts for mom. We're going to take care of her. It's going to be super fun. We're going to honor her. And this is where she needs to be. Now, if you're a mom and your kids don't come to Daystar, this is your moment. You tell those kids, if you, if you really loved me, and do the prayer thing, do crying, just do the whole, if you really loved me, you would come to church with me at my church at Daystar. You just put it on them. I mean, just tell them, if you don't come with me, obviously you don't know what I went through in child labor. And, and so here's what I want to do. I want to sit you down, and I want to tell you in drastic detail every moment of your birth. And I promise you they'll go, no, Mom, I'll be at Daystar next Sunday. All right? So I want you to put the pressure on them next Sunday. Today, we're reading about the most frustrating character maybe in the whole Bible, Samson. Big, strong Samson. Everybody knows his story, right? You know, kills a 1,000 enemy soldiers with a jawbone of a donkey. He doesn't even have a sword. I mean, he's just this amazing, strong leader. He's gifted by God. He's anointed for a purpose. You see, the people of God are being oppressed horribly by the Philistines. If you were here last week, we talked about that, right? How they would raid and 
terrorized the people. They literally were terrorists. They worshipped a false god. They sacrificed children, live babies in the fire. These are the most awful terrorists you could imagine. And God would raise up these judges like Gideon to fight and, and like Samson. Now, though Samson was called by God, had a tremendous purpose. He was gifted maybe more than anybody else, certainly in physical ways. He was, he was constantly failing God. He was one day doing good things, and the next day he's failing God. And here's the way you could sum it up. Samson was incredibly strong and dangerously weak all at the same time because he was emotionally driven. We want to be spirit-led people the Holy Spirit leading us. Like last week we read about Gideon hearing from God. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And it's not like handwriting on the wall type stuff and it's not like, you know, the clouds form words, but it's in worship and it's in prayer and it's in solitude and, and, and you just get this inference in your heart. That's, that's where you want to be with God. Unfortunately, Samson wasn't that kind of person and so he ends up, uh, you could really sum it up like this, Samson ends up in the wrong places, touching the wrong things, drinking the wrong things and hanging with the wrong women. In fact, the, his, his whole life turned sideways because he ended up chasing the wrong women. Boys, young men, listen to me. If you end up with the wrong woman, she can destroy your life. Can somebody say amen? Again, all men amens just then. Cannot one woman agree? You're not the wrong kind of woman. You're the right kind of woman. Can you agree that the wrong kind of woman can mess up these young men? If so, all you ladies say, Amen. Thank you so much, all right? Because he got with, in fact, if you're a young man, just write it in the column. The wrong woman can ruin me. Just write it in the column over there, all right, in your notes. Because that's a fact, and that's what he did. Now, the, the bad part was he was the wrong man, too, you know. It's not enough to find the right woman. You've got to be the right man. It's not enough for you to find the right man. You've got to be the right woman because the right man is praying for the right woman right now. And if you don't become the right woman, you'll never get the right man. And the right man right now, the, the, the right man is praying for the right woman, so you've got to be who you're trying to find. That was so good right there. I said it so fast you probably didn't get 10% of it. That was so good. All you people that are praying for the right person, let me tell you about the right person. The right person is also praying. And the right person is also praying for the right person. So you're not, God's not going to answer his prayer and give him the wrong person. And if you're the wrong person, you can't have the right person. That's good stuff right up in there. You got to give extra today just for that. I'm going to tell you right now. Eventually, because Samson was the wrong person, he just wasn't being the right person inside. And Delilah was not the right person inside his sins caught up with him he ends up in prison in chains his hair is cut remember he had this Nazarite vow that as a statement to God and and everyone around he would never shave his hair and, and so they shaved his head and they bound him in chains and they gouged his eyes out and I was reading some commentaries this week and uh, most commentaries say that they burned his eyes out and the gouging was what was left over as gross as that is and that's where he is and oh, how the mighty have fallen. And it leads you to ask this question, what do you do when you realize you blew it? Like when you, you realize you wasted years or you wasted opportunities or you wasted the gifts that God put inside of you, what do, what do you realize when you've done some things that you can't undo? And that's particularly difficult for men. This is a message for women and men because the story really applies to all of us. But in this case with Samson, 
It really, see, because, because men process things differently and they value different things. Women tend to really value relationships. A- am I right, ladies? They really value relationships, having good relationships, be, being in good fellowship with other women and having the right kind of connections. And we're going to be BFFs. And, you know, if, if there's any problems, we're going to fix it all up. And, oh, we still love each other and we hug and it's all good. And let's go to the bathroom together and, and stay there four hours. And that's all the woman stuff. Men are completely different. Men, no man's going to be like, hey, Bill, want to go to the bathroom? Uh, Bill's going to punch you in the face. He's not, it's not going to happen. Just different rules for men. Like, you can go to the bathroom, and if you just happen to be there at the same time, that's okay. Like, you're not in trouble for that. But, you know, and you can even talk, but you can't make eye contact if you're a man. Some of you young guys, you need to know this. Don't make eye contact. You can want to talk about, you can only talk about a few things, like, you know, the weather, the sports, stuff like that. But, you know, eyes forward. You know what I'm saying? And don't shake my hand in the bathroom. Okay. You lose your man card if you do the wrong stuff in the bathroom. Completely different. I don't know what goes in there than four hours you women are in there. But with men, it's like, get the business done. Let's get out of here. Because men process relationships differently, and they really value accomplishment. That, that's where we find our identity. Did I win? Did I outdo the, where do I rank? Where do I stand among the other guys? And did, 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 I, did I achieve something? And so this would have absolutely crushed Samson. It would have crushed anybody to be in that position, but knowing that he had a calling from God, that he was set apart to do something amazing. And, and, and see, our greatest fear as a man is failure. And our greatest pain is regret. Man, I, I wish I had done this differently. I wish I hadn't said what I said. I wish I could go back and undo. But there's no undo button in life. You, you really can. And, and so then you have to learn how to process what you're in right now. Some men are frustrated with their marriage because they know it's a mess and they've contributed to that mess. But they won't man up and go get counseling or do what they could do. And some men, you know, they're frustrated with their job. They feel like they're just in this dead-end place and they're not getting paid enough. They're living paycheck to paycheck. And there's all this frustration and there's all this regret. And, and still some of us, were, you know, we, men regret not marrying at all because they didn't treat this woman right or they should have taken the opportunity they had. There's so many things like that that, that will cause us, sometimes it's inward. For men and women, there's a, there's a promise that we made to God. Nobody sees it. It's not out in the open, but we made a promise, and we know we didn't fulfill it. Or maybe we made a vow to ourselves of what we were going to become, and, and, and we know we didn't fulfill it. And the truth is, if we analyze ourselves, everybody in this room has some failures, and everybody has some regrets. This story is here to let you know that just because you failed, it doesn't mean you're a failure. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this first thing down. Samson's story shows us this, that failure is an event. It's real. It really happened, but it's never a person. Say this out loud, every voice. I may have failed, but I'm not a failure. See, see, the truth is failure is an event. It's a thing. It's a fact. It happened. It is not my identity. If that's the truth, everybody here is a failure because everybody here has failed myself included, anybody in your life that you might think has it together, you might look up to that woman or that man has failed just the same as you have. And so you've got to move on. Some people, you know, make failure a signpost. Other people make it a hitching post. You got to make up your mind. I'm not going to hitch my wagon there. I'm not tying up my horse at that failure. That's a signpost. That's a, no, that's not the way to go. You tried it that way. It didn't work out. Take a left. Go somewhere else. You got to make your failure a signpost, not a hitching post. Actually, Samson, finally, somebody say finally. 
Finally, 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 after many, 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 many decisions to keep going the wrong way, he finally got it right at the end. And we'll start reading sort of at the end. So if you want to pick up your Bible, Judges chapter 16, I'll read along with you here. Judges 16, we'll pick it up in verse 23. This is after Samson has already been in prison. All his, you know, messing around with Delilah and all the mistakes he made there have passed. And in verse 23, it says, Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and celebrated, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. Now, Dagon is the, um, he's the man-fish God. He's got a head of a man and the body of a fish. These people are messed up. They're like, oh, man-fish God. Oh, man-fish God. You know, we worship you. And there's like, some commentators say it's probably about eight, maybe 10,000 people. Because it said there was 3,000 people on the roof. All right. So think of a temple, not like our temple, uh, or what we would think of a worship center, but a coliseum with layered levels. And there are thousands and thousands of people there. And they're worshiping this false god that they do all horrible ritual sacrifice to. And they're celebrating. And so we pick it up in verse 24. When the people saw Samson, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. Now, those two lines refer to what we read earlier when he tied 300 foxes' tails together and, 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 and put 150 torches on them, and he just burned up everything. Now, let me just stop for a minute. How bad of a dude are you and you can catch alive 300 foxes? Man, super bad. That's the right answer. You a bad mama jamma. That's what we used to say when I was a kid. Tied their tails together. Foxes don't like their tails tied together. They're going to be biting. He's just like psh, punching them in the face. More like, psh. he don't punch like, psh, psh. Everybody, y'all the men, give me a big old, That was female sounding over there. Okay, big, heavy. All right, so, so anyways, this is referring to that story. If you haven't read it, read backwards, just a couple chapters. He burns up the whole city by catching foxes. And then it says, and he multiplied our slain. Well, that refers directly to the time that a thousand men thought they could beat him and he killed all 1,000 of them without a pocket knife. He wasn't from Coleman. He didn't have a pocket knife. Killed them with a jawbone of a donkey. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, you know, after he's killed 100 men and they're still coming, 500 men, they're still coming, 700 men. Can you get down to the last two guys? And one guy goes, Bob, I think he's starting to wane. Let's go get him. I'm going to tell you, if I was there, it'd be 999 men he killed because I'm out, right? He just keeps going, and he's over it. So, so they're excited, and they've got him about as far down as he can go from a man who is not only physically strong and revered by everyone else, but he's a judge over Israel. So he has, he has a high position, and now he's lost everything. And he's got to deal with that. See, when you, when you lose everything, and everybody loses something. I mean, you, you said something you shouldn't have said, and you lost some respect, or you, you whatever. You all, we all lose things. And, and what is our response to failure? There's two responses. There's a natural response, and I'll put this in your notes. The natural response is remorse. Everybody say remorse. Remorse is what we naturally do. This is me saying, I wish I hadn't done that. I feel awful for doing that. What kind of a person? I can't believe what a what a, what a sorry, sorry, miserable person I am. I'm just a failure. I'm a nobody. My life is not worth living. That's what remorse sounds like. And sometimes remorse turns over to, to blaming others. It's like it really wasn't my fault. It was Delilah. You know, it's that woman that got me in trouble. And that's what Adam did. The first man did the same thing. God says, why did you eat the fruit? He says, that woman. 
you know. And, and that's what remorse sounds like. It's, it's just blaming others. But God has a better place for us to go. And that's the second one. The better response is repentance. Everybody say repentance. That's really where God wants us. Repentance sounds different. Repentance is when I own it. Repentance is when I say, I did this. Yeah, there were other circumstances around me. There was that woman, Delilah, whatever. But the bottom line is, I'm better than this. And I want you to get here. Our world and our culture is at a place where we blame everybody for everything else. True godly repentance is when we say, yeah, those things were going on. Yeah, this might have contributed. No, these people over here, they didn't help me out. But the truth of the matter is, I made my own decision and I have to own that. Our world would be a better place if we would just own it. And that's what repentance begins with. I know that that's not who I'm called to be. I'll never forget. I I don't know why I tell this story to y'all. I got thrown out of a church league basketball game one time. Shut up over there. I was, the, I, I, was, uh, I was the pastor of this church, by the way. I know you're thinking, like, he was 12. No, I was grown. And, and it really wasn't, it really, you know, wasn't what you think. If I were to tell you the whole story, it don't sound as bad as that little one-liner. But here's what I was left with. Walking away from that after I was mad at all, it, Really, just one other person. And I'd like to tell you it was his, but never mind. I had to walk away and I say, the truth of the matter is, if I'm, no matter what he did, if I'm being 100% the best version of me, this doesn't happen. I can be better. I can be better. If I had said zero words, this doesn't happen. And see, that's 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 where repentance begins. Not pointing fingers at this guy or that guy or her or what she, what about me? God has called me to be way up here. He's called, everybody say higher. In fact, not just higher, everybody say highest. I don't mean highest in the, in the sense that I'm going to be higher than you, but the highest version of me, as close to God as I can be, as, as in line with his purpose and vision for my life as I can get, the highest. And you know what the word re the compound word repent literally means it's two words put together the word the, the, the first part of that re means to turn everybody say turn and amazingly the word that from the original language pent comes from a word that means the highest it means to turn to the highest and it has a dual meaning I believe from heaven I mean there's no definition in, in the back of the Bible to tell you what it means but when you research the original languages I think it's telling you two things that when you realize you've done the wrong thing you failed you've gone down the wrong path turn to the highest which is God and turn to become the highest version of yourself turn and own it make your up your mind I'm better than that I think it's weak to blame other people yeah, that person shouldn't have said that. Yes, she was 10 times worse than I was. The bottom line is with him saying what he said and her doing what she said, God has still called me to be higher than all of that, and I can be better. I want you to hear that for your own life and your own circumstance right now because sometimes you feel like, yeah, pastor, this is all good stuff. You're teaching really good stuff to me, and I'm taking it all in, but all the knuckleheads around me need to hear it too. I can't tell you how many times y'all have told me some version of that same statement. Oh, that was so good. I sure wish I'd get those nut jobs I work with in here. That, yeah, I get that. I, get, I wish my husband would. I get that. But what about you being the highest version of you? What if God said, I put you specifically in that place because I knew all those knuckleheads were there, and I know there's more inside of you than you think is there. You can be better than what you think you are. God can raise you to a higher place. No, you can't undo what you've done. 
You can't, you can't unsay what you've said. If I could just be this bold, you can't unsleep with who you've slept with. But you can decide, I'm going to turn and go higher. I, you know, I can't change my past, but I can turn and go higher, and that's going to change my future. I think this is the place, and this is why Samson's story is a pretty long story. I couldn't preach it all on one day. This is why I selected this section, because I think this is the best part of Samson. This is the moment where he realizes that I'm meant for more than this. I was not meant to entertain my enemies. That's what they said. He was entertaining them. I'm not meant to entertain my enemies. I was created for significance, and it's not too late for me to be significant. And you know what? My prayer for you as I read this story and I prepared this message was that you would connect with Samson's story and realize you too were meant for significance. You're not meant for average or ordinary. You know, there are a lot of people in this world that think there are two ways you live your life. You either live your life uh, in, in a survival mode, I'm just going to kind of make it, or a success mode. And we all know what the world's success looks like. It's money, it's positions, it's title, it's respect of others. But I've come to tell you there's a higher place God wants you to live. It's not survival or success, it's significance. And that might not have all the world's trappings. It might not put you in the lead table at special dinners, but it, it puts you where God wants you to be. And there's a significant place for you. This story is not about a long-haired dude that had lots of power but fell because of a woman. This story is about you and me. It's about failure, and it's about what to do when you know you failed and you can't change your past, but you can move on. See, here's the beautiful thing. You have a significance, and you may have forgotten it like Samson did, but God hasn't forgotten it. God has not forgotten his plan for you. And when Samson realized that, the whole story changed. Go to verse 25, kind of in the middle of verse 25. It says, when they stood him among the pillars, um, Samson said to the servant, who held him, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple. Remember this big Colosseum, thousands of people, so that I may lean against them. And then in verse 28, then Samson prayed. And this is where Samson got it right, y'all. He prayed to the Lord, O oh, sovereign Lord, remember me, O oh God. Please strengthen me. Say those last three words with me. Just once more. Say it again. Just one. I need Hartzell and Madison and everybody to say it. Just once more more. That is a prayer that has been prayed thousands of times, millions of times by millions of people. That's the addict's prayer. That's the husband who keeps on failing his wife. That's it. the person who gets their anger out of control. I'll never say it again. Please forgive me just one more time. Would you just pray with me just one more time? That's a prayer that has frustrated. I've been frustrated with people. I've prayed so many prayers with people who said just one more time. I'll get it right this time. That's a frustrating prayer. And if you've ever been in a place where you're frustrated with them or you, You've prayed that prayer. God, just one more time. Just please. I'll, I'll get it right this time. And you just get frustrated with yourself. That's why this prayer's in the book. That's why. Because God had given him one more chance and then another chance and then another chance and another and another and another. And when it seemed like this man just wasn't going to actually take the grace of God seriously. He was just going to keep on taking his chances and doing the wrong thing. He prayed it one more time. And what does God do? But he answers that prayer. Oh, my Lord, this says so many things to me right now. First of all, it says, don't you give up on anybody because God hasn't given up on them, on them either. Don't give up on your friend. Don't give up on someone you're loving. Trust and believe that, that God could still do And it says something to you. Don't give up on yourself because just one more time is the prayer that he prayed and God answered it. See, this is where he's finally broken. 
He doesn't care about positions. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about what they think about him. He doesn't care about chasing after the women anymore. He's saying, God, I don't have to be the main character in this story. You're the main character. Just give me one more time, and all I want to do this time is I want to honor you. Let me tell you something, men and ladies. You may be down, but you're not out. There's some good stuff God put inside of you. And that good stuff is better than the bad stuff that you've let creep in over time. Little by little, maybe you've been like Samson. You made a few steps, a little step here. You made a drew a line in the sand, and then you crossed your own line in the sand. And you let some bad stuff in, some, some bad addictions, some bad habits, some bad practices. Let me tell you, there's still the presence and the calling and the purpose of God in your life. And it's stronger than all that other stuff. And God's purpose, it may be buried right now with guilt and regret and pain and mistakes and shame. But I'm telling you, the minute you in your heart cry out to God, because God knows your heart doesn't care about the words. When your heart cries out, God, it's not about me anymore. God, it's not about making up a lie to try to cover up my mistakes. But just if you'll give me one more chance, God, it's finally going to be about you. What you're going to find out is God has a purpose that's bigger than the junk that's covering it up, and it's going to break. It's going to resurrect just like Easter Sunday, and you're going to see the future God has for you. I'm talking to somebody here who's thought about giving up. And you thought about maybe, you know, you've, you've tried it your last time. But here's what I want, to see, I want you to see at the very end of the story. Even in our failures, even in the failures, God can still accomplish his purpose. That's, that's kind of crazy. In, in our failure, but you're going to see it in this story, verse 29. It says, Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars, um, on which the temple stood, and he, and he braced himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all of his might, and, he came, and, and, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more of the enemies of God when he died than when he lived. <laughs> this story... Why is it one of the giant stories of our faith? Because it shows that even in your failure, God's planning your comeback. <laughs> if I could spread that enthusiasm over the rest of the room. Right when you're in your worst place, I want you to think about this. I love reading Bible stories over and over and over again because I learned something that I didn't know before. Or, or, or I see something I didn't see before. And in this story, I never really noticed that Samson is between these two giant pillars that holds up this entire, there's literally this God they've built is right in front of him. It's a temple, it's a coliseum where thousands of people worship. And these are these awful, horrible terrorists, these, these, these people who are, are, are a blight against God. And, and, and Samson's purpose for all the, the killing of the Old Testament was to eradicate his enemy so that the people of God could live in peace and prosperity. And that's his moment. He's right among every leader. Oh, because Samson, catching Samson's a big deal. Every leader, every general in the army, all the top people, all the political leaders are all in that room. And right in the middle of that, he gets to do more for the cause of God than he did in every, in all those moments when he walked through the streets like a big wig, and all those moments where they called out his name and talked about all of it, none of that was as purposeful and meaningful as that last moment. And if you were to ask Samson at any point on his journey, where will you reach the pinnacle of your purpose? He would have never said, well, naked 
eyes gouged out, strapped and, and tied up, to, to being mocked. He would have never put himself in that place. But right in the middle of that disastrous moment, underneath the whole thing, God was putting him right where he was supposed to be. If you failed God, you're probably thinking to yourself, man, I'm in the wrong place. i got to get out of this place. And then finally, I'm going to tell you what, God's purpose will find you where you are. Right when you're in the wrong place and you wonder, could God do anything for me right there? What you don't know is that God is supernatural and he's supernaturally moving and weaving people in places and circumstances and he's put you right where you're supposed to be. If you just look up, you might be standing. You didn't want to be there, but you're standing between the two pillars of life that you need to push down and destroy all the things that have been destroying your future. Look on the back of your notes. There's a bunch of blank lines. and ask, I want you to answer these two questions. This is your homework for this week. What are the pillars in my life I need to push over? What is it? Rage, anger, a porn addiction. Is it, is it uh, you know, financial problems? What are the pillars in my life I need to push over? You don't have to write it down in front of everybody else, but in a quiet, private moment, just please take that paper. If you pray one week, one day this week, I hope you pray seven days, if you pray one week, one day this week, pull that card out and ask God, what are the pillars? And then underneath that, write a second question, and the question is how? Specifically, how? How? Who am I going to talk to? I'm going to join a small group. I'm going to get uh, counseling. I'm going to talk to my spouse. I'm going to confess something to my accountability partner or my spouse. I'm going to finally, I'm tired of, of failing over and over and over again. God, give me one more chance. And in my one more chance, God, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to find what you ultimately want out of my life. See, Samson died a hero's death. And there's a hero in you waiting to emerge, waiting to come out. And I think actually what the death, the the thing that God wants out of you is harder than what Samson did. See, because uh, if I could speak for the men for just a minute, like, there's something in you as a man. Even if you're not married yet, when you do get married, and after you're married, if you're in the middle of the night and, and there's a noise and somebody breaks in the house, you're going to quickly grab whatever you can get your hands on. If it's nothing but a lamp, you're going to rip it out of the wall and you're going to come running through their thing in your box of shorts. You can be like William Wallace and Braveheart. You won't look like that, but it's all right. It's dark. But you're ready to die for that. I know you men are. Man, I know. There's no question for your wife, for your kids. You die in a moment. That's actually an easier death than the death God's called you to. The death God's called us to, men and women, is the death Paul referred to when he said, I die every day. Every day. Not just one time. Not just one time to be awakened and, and that, that primal instinct to protect rises up and you die in that moment. That, no. This is a thought after, prayed over, war within yourself to say, I'm going to let my will die and God's will live. I'm going to let my sin nature die and I'm going to let my spirit come to life. I'm going to let the emotion in me die so that I can be driven by the Holy Spirit every day. You have to do it every day. You kill that man, that old flesh man today, he comes back to life. you got to kill him again tomorrow. That's how you become who God's called you to be, and it starts at the cross.